This is Requiem Metal Podcast, episode 68, The Melvins. Welcome to Record Metal Podcast. You just heard Honey Bucket. I'm. Uh, Who's that from, dude? That is from the Melvins, from a, a wonderful album called Houdini. I'm Mark. I'm Jason. And joining us is Mr. Grant Corcoon. Mr. Grant well, Corcoon, here welcome. I am. And why why are you here today, Mr. Grant Corcoon? Tell us why we well, uh, we I, raise I your spirit. A certain fondness for the Melvins, you know, band from my youth, kind of the the kiss of my generation, I guess. You're kind of the for PhD. Me. Yeah, holder of Melvin theology yeah. around here. Yeah, that's you're probably one of the only people I've ever met that has almost every. I wouldn't say everything, but you have a fair Not percentage all, yes. of Melvin's things, you very, know, singles and stuff like that. Well, <coughs> you know, they're they're one of those bands. I just I, I dig the just the oddness of them, and yet they're like, you know, very explosive band, very really uncompromising and yet they've been like on a major label been indie they've done stuff for themselves i mean they're you know very interesting yeah journey from you know for sure and and the tune you just heard honey bucket that was um i think that was the first melvin's tune i heard was that true for i think both pretty of us much, yeah. pretty much watching uh, headbangers ball and seeing the video for honey bucket with the farm animals running around with melvin shaved yeah. into the side yeah. of them and uh hopefully mark will link that video up for Let's for, see what we can do. For, yeah, for yeah. the uh, for the website, but uh, um, 
Yeah, that was my jumping on point as well. I mean, and then kind of backtracked and kept going with them. Yeah, you, know. you, you definitely went uh, a lot further into, into some of the Melvin stuff. I mean, I would buy new releases as I saw them, but there was like periods and gaps of time where you know, there'd be like three random Melvin's albums that were released yeah. and you'd be like, hey, did you pick up this one and this? And I'm like, I didn't even see those. Like, yeah. where did you find those? Because you used to find a whole bunch in uh, Lansing when you went yeah. down to Michigan yep. State. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, Some of the shops down there. Yeah, it was FBC. Yep. Flyback and Circular, mm-hmm. cool record shop down there always seemed to... Still there. Yep. Yeah, still there, luckily. You know, a yeah. lot of record shops not, not making it in the world. But they were cool because I think they, like... They were really into the noisier, more experimental music in a certain sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they were one of those bands where, you know, they started out almost doing like a flipper type thing. Like, I don't know if anybody's familiar with them, but, you know, being like the slowest band around. Yeah. You know, doing a bunch of sludge records to start out and then kind of branched off into noise. And, you know, a lot of the stuff we're probably going to be playing here when they got signed is more, it's almost like their rock, classic rock era. Yeah, and... And and the thing about the Melvins um, is when we we thought about doing a Melvins show, you know, you have to look at the scope of their career. And I mean, you could do a five part Melvins show and, and just encapsulate everything and you could possibly do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so we decided to kind of focus on on kind of the Atlantic trio as, as yeah. we kind of called them um, from about ninety three to about ninety six when they they really sort of released, like you said, they're whoa. <laughs> Sounds like a Houdini flying <laughs> uh, flying somewhere there, and um, we're you know like you said they're classic rock records. Yeah. I mean from start to finish, I would say that these are three of the most consistent Melvin's releases in terms well, yeah. of songwriting. Well, you know? a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were they were on a major label, they were getting major production, major production talent, and they were like it was like they're trying to make it, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. make it commercially. Well, um, okay. and yet still they were the melvins so kind of ended up having some weird twists yeah and you, you can't really erase you know the mel you, you can't like you know it's oh my god i can't believe i'm about to quote this uh you know it's the great uh great dirty dancing quote you know can't put baby in a corner you yeah. can't put the melvins in a corner i mean That's, you can't trap them with like commercialization the box man yeah yeah no, they're they're always yeah. going to be outside the box no matter what you do and a tune like we just heard you know honey bucket which i mean just has this rocking i mean i i was telling you know grand carcoon here before the show that this easily probably top five riffs of all time yeah. i never really heard anything that catchy and that thick i mean it's just molasses yeah. thick but yeah. fast you know uh sludge rock and, you know it, and it's different than like the sludge stuff that you and i were discovering right around the time of the melvins too which was like i hate god yeah so it, that it had New more Orleans of like stuff. a you know it was more punk than that i guess yeah. you know that's it was almost but, like yeah they were taking flipper that like slow yeah. kind of hardcore band they were take, but they were also taking like dropping some, in like dead Kennedys and, and black and flag yeah, and just you know going for it. Yeah, so oh, don't forget the heavy dose of Kiss. Yes, yeah, and, and we're oh. we're definitely going to be talking about uh, the the Kiss influence. I mean, this is something Mark's probably the biggest Kiss fan out of the three of us. I mean, what kind of aspects of Kiss do you hear in the Melvins? That well, I mean, as far as the I guess kind of stripped down <laughs> catchiness. And especially a lot, you hear a lot of Ace Freelyisms in the uh, in the leads, yeah, and the solos, and like there's yeah, not too many notes. It's more a kind of like yep. uh, you know, for lack of a better word, like heartfelt or yes. emotional than than like technical. You know? Well, I think of like the solo in like Love Gun, where he's really just sort of playing the vocal melody again, but he's like yeah. doing it like in an epic like or like you know the going blind cover they do. I mean, that seems to kind of suit them perfectly. Sure, yep. 
and they did God of Thunder as well. So yep. I mean, yeah. they've done two Kiss covers that probably more, you know, that we just yep. don't even know about. A lot but, of live records and whatnot. What's it? Yeah, probably live and things like that. And, and also, there's this pronounced interest in the Melvins, and this comes also, Kiss kind of fits into this picture in that, yeah, they're taking the early 80s, like, kind of hardcore stuff, the Black mm-hmm. Flags, Flippers, Dead Kennedys, but they're also mixing it with, like, late 70s kind of sleaze rock, you know, Ted Nugent, which, oh, we, yeah. you know, yeah. when Jeff and I saw our Grand Corcoon, or Jeff, if you want to call him that, <laughs> yeah, whatever, man, <laughs> we revealed your, seat, your Clark Kent's out there oh, to the oh. public, but, you know, when you and I saw the Melvins for the first time, they were opening for Tool in Kalamazoo, and, like, Buzzo came out with the guys from, or, Someone from Tool it came was out. Maynard came out from Tool and, and did the vocals for Stranglehold. Yeah, yeah from Stranglehold. Nugent. And it was like <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes of like just warped noise. And I mean, Buzzo played the solos and stuff. I mean, he's, he's talented enough to be able to yeah. do, you know. I mean, I think in a certain way, to do some of the things that the Melvins do, which is very deconstructive, you know, where oh, you're yeah. kind of tearing apart mm-hmm. music and messing with it. You know, it's like what we talked about a few episodes ago with Velvet Underground, John Cale. Yeah. Like, you can be deconstructive, but if you don't know how to, like, understand and write good music, yeah. like, you can't do it in the right way. It just sounds like... What's well, the abstraction kind of anything? Of assholes, like painting, you know? You don't know, uh, you know, if you don't know anatomy and then you try to abstract it, what are you yeah, really yeah, doing? Yeah, exactly. You know, you know well, like... And, it, and a lot of it comes from there. I mean, they're like a D, DIY band. I mean, yeah. and self, you know, self-taught in every aspect of it. So, mm-hmm. it's just kind of take a path and run with it kind mm-hmm. of sure but the the whole thing with the you know the melvins i guess if you're going to look at their early early era you got osma and really gluey porch treatments yeah, well, and, and another one would be bullhead, bullhead which is really kind of the when they finally put it all together is I that mean, osma they, and gluey porch treatments are somewhat unlistenable unless you're a huge <laughs> sludge fan yeah yeah but the, the very like um, influential records, I think. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, I think they they had a major influence on the grunge scene for sure, which is kind of where we're going to transition here in a second when we start talking about Houdini. But what what happened on Bullhead that was like the final ingredient? Would you say? I, I they just finally started writing a little bit more cohesive songs. I mean, and I think got a little bit better production, mm-hmm. kind of just got their stuff together instead of just like being weird for the sake of being weird they finally yeah. were just well and that's got and, it. and that's the beauty of like you know honey bucket which is why we open the show with that because it's three minutes it's very concise and it's almost like they're you're right they're they can be weird which on houdini they they do 12 minute kind of gorilla drumming spread eagle beagle tune i mean so they can throw that stuff in but when they need to write a good song they know how to write a good song and that's that's what mark was kind of talking about as an artist you can't abstract until you can you know paint understand how you know how it works to begin with we can but it's i think limited results yeah it's kind of a falsity to it you know well the thing about houdini as people of our generation uh kind of the you know people who kind of grew up in the early 90s remember uh, about Houdini is that this is when kind of, you know, Kurt Cobain got involved with the Melvins. Uh, He had sort of always, you know, name-checked the Melvins as like a big influence for him. And I know Dave Grohl was was really into, you know, the metal scene and the Melvins and sludgy stuff too. And they kind of linked him up uh, to to help produce this record, which obviously brought a lot of uh, attention to the oh, Melvins, yeah. well, for think, good or bad, you know. I think uh, you know part of it was, I mean, the Melvins were, had actually been making it, you know, for years before the Nirvana thing, but you know they kind of had, you know, inter, you know, were intertwined with Cobain, and mm-hmm. you know it's like he gets money probably 
you know, helped him out, hooked him up, or some A and R dude or whatever. Just yeah. Oh, Kurt Cobain likes the Melvins. Now we're gonna we sign should sign him. these yeah, guys. Everybody know? likes Kurt Cobain, so anything he likes. Yeah, like. exactly. And and that's the that's an after effect. That's what you know. Mark and I were talking about that during the Helmet Show. I said you know as much as some people want to maybe slag on Kurt Cobain for his kind of martyrdom or, or whatever, the the thing he did is he. What Nirvana and Grunge did is it created a realm of possibility for heavy music to yeah, sort of I mean, have a place on MTV, radio, and get signed to major labels. And I get mean, in like, like a, in an almost like a, he was like a totally negative person, but he also did like kind of bring some music to the, he kind you of, know, okay. kind of to to the forefront or to more mm-hmm. mainstream. I mean, in a way, I, I would I would look at if you're like talking about popular music that you could have found very accessibly on the radio and on MTV. I'd say the early '90s is probably the most. It's the Renaissance period. I mean, there really has never been another era where you could turn on MTV at three o'clock in the afternoon and see a Megadeth, Sweating Bullets, Mother from Danzig, Alice in Chains, Nirvana. You know, all those sort of stuff. Quickly you know. went down the toilet after that. Well, yeah, yeah. about 95, it fell apart, you yeah. know, which we talked about. But, I mean, there was, again, this beautiful renaissance from, like, you know. Yeah, the, just all the different genres and diversity, you know, it was starting to and I think get, the Melvins, come to the forefront. The know? Melvins, like, thrived in that sort of environment. And what you yeah. get on Houdini is not only Kurt Cobain's involvement, but you get guys like uh, Billy Anderson, who's going to go on and do some of, like, the great Southern Lord stuff. And isn't he in Connie and uh, Burning Witch? Or no, oh, that's Stephen no, O'Malley. That's Stephen O'Malley. Yeah. Uh, but what's what's Billy he's Anderson? Been in? Like Cathedral and uh, yeah. Brutal Truth. Big, a bunch big of pro- stuff. The only band I can think of that he's been in, he he did play bass on one I I Hate God album. Oh, I did think. he? Okay. And, um, he's got that men of porn on. Oh, okay. you know. <laughs> yeah, I think he's. I mean, for metal, more of a producer for metal purposes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Known as more of a producer for sure. Yeah. You know, and then you got Garth G G G Garth, who did the first Rage Against the Machine, and he did. What else has Garth done besides the Melvins? Oh, I, I feel like he did some other big record I, yeah, in that era, but probably a Monster Magnet or Clutch or something like that. It could be. Right? And then you got uh, Joe Barisi kind of gets involved as well, and Joe Barisi has recently done like Queens of Stone Age and the last Enslaved record he did. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about a, a very eclectic mix of individuals being involved in, in making this kind of record. And Houdini itself is sort of this... Uh, I mean, I, I remember getting this in the cover. I mean, the Melvins had such like an odd, artsy kind of approach to everything. Yeah. Uh, almost like they're winking at you, like we're trying to trick you and make fun of like music as yeah. we're sort of creating great music. You know, well, visually, it's always been kind of an, an absurdist approach. I think. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. Well, and, I, and I, creepy. Yeah. You know, you know, creepy absurdist. Well, and I think a lot of that comes from Buzz Osborne's wife because she's done a lot of the layout. Oh, stuff really? Or, yeah. yeah. Well, or even Melvin's coffee table book, which. Was that her that yeah, was responsible? Yeah, did all for the layout and did all you know? And she's created a lot of the covers art. for the last couple, at least yeah. like Epic Hecron, yeah. and Okay, possibly before that. I'm not 100 percent sure. Huh? That's pretty yeah. cool. And and if we're talking about the band, we're talking you know Buzz Osborne or King Buzzo as he was known at yeah. times, who's the singer and guitar player. Yeah. Uh, this era, the drummer was um, Dale Crover. Yeah. Correct for well, all. Dale Crover's been. Dale oh, yeah, and Buzz have been. They're the they're the, the consistent thing. thing. The only thing that's changed is a bass player, which is about every two years or <laughs> it's, something. It's kind of like the Spinal Tap drummer yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing, or Judas Priest <laughs> drummer, which yeah. Mark and I were talking about a few episodes back, but. Uh, 
Yeah, and I think on, on Houdini we've got Lorax, right? Yeah, which, which is Shirley Temple's daughter. And so <laughs> if that makes any sense. It makes about as much sense as anything yeah, the Melvins yeah, have ever yeah, done, yeah. you know. And in the the album title, uh, as Jeff and I are kinda of talking about, it, it's it's called Houdini for a reason because there's almost a smoke and mirrors aspect to this record. The first single is called Hooch, and it's the only song that they put lyrics of in the book. And the lyrics are absolutely nonsense. Yeah, you know? I mean, they're um, at, at best, most of their lyrics are abstract. Sure, you know, but this is a whole nother level. Because <laughs> I can ford a red eed, only street a wide a reland. Diamond make a medieval bike a seca like a recast. Because I can ford a red eed, only street a wide a reland. I mean, what are, I mean, it reminds me of, all right, what it, I guess it seems like they came up with a vocal line and then they just made up lyrics. Yeah, they just yeah. Hummed, hummed through yeah. it. Yeah. There you go. It's yeah. like, there's the words. Don't ray me, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I catch myself like humming and singing those lyrics. I almost know the lyrics yeah. because it's, it's in, it's, in this like you know catchy tune and that's kind of the beauty of like the title Houdini I mean in a way they're sort of like mocking popular music with catchy choruses and catchy riffs and things but yet they're like totally as we said deconstructing them and and messing around with them quite a bit Um, the tune we're going to start out with here in this next set is actually not from Houdini Houdini it's from the live Houdini which was just put out what like two years ago year and a half ago oh yeah somewhere on there okay. yeah history of gluttony and lust okay which, excellent record great it, yeah it's some of the stuff's almost better than the original and they're a great live band and this is one of the reasons we chose to play the live version of Night Goat is uh the second or third well second time I saw the Melvins maybe third time you saw them third yeah, or fourth third or something fourth, yeah. like that uh, I was like I had a really bad cold and we were in cough I was drinking like all this cough medicine and stuff which of course you know messes you up a little bit and and you know Jeff drove me down to the show and we were at the Magic Stick in Detroit which is like above yep. a bowling alley mm-hmm. and like they dropped into like like 15 minutes like a pure feedback 15 well, actually, 20 minutes if you know anybody knows the albums it was the uh, Colossus of Destiny tour <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really kind of an important if you know the Melvins that's all you need to know about that so they were into their noise phase yeah. a little bit and not really caring what anyone thought about it <laughs> and the beauty was they had the strobe light like flashing at us as like they were just playing this pure like wall of noise shoegaze like you know like pure feedback and like the strobe light was just flashing and people were like starting to lose their minds I mean I felt like I was hallucinating on Kong it reminded me of the time I saw Kanye where people were just circling around just trying to figure out what do we Dude, yeah. you know, like, you, you know, slowest, like, non-rhythmatic, like, bunch of like meatheads just like waiting to like, you know, start oh, moshing. Yeah, music. exactly. And so the mosh began in the midst of feedback, yep. and there was a guy that was picked up and thrown into a pole, and like it was just nuts. And then it, it eased out of this, and it went into Night Goat, which is uh, kind of one of their standard tunes. So we decided, in honor of that experience, to to start things off with a, you know, the live Night, night Goat. So, um, so we got a trio of tunes coming up here from Houdini. We got Night Goat, and then we've got sort of their doom metal classic. Uh, I, I would throw this alongside anything that like Cathedral was doing at this point, and also it's a sweet candle mass riff, and that's a tune called Hag Me, and then we'll come out with a, more of a traditional Melvin tune, which we'll talk about when we come back, called Teet. So enjoy the live version of Night Goat.
me and night goat and, uh, as jeff was pointing out or grindcore nothing like a little feedback after a night of partying <laughs> yeah to, to get you going drinking, you know? yeah. oh jeez yeah Better we had to start the, sh- the day then you know mm-hmm. a little melvin's a little melvin's hangover yeah. show that's yeah. it's where it's at gotta love that feedback um and one of the things too that we should mention about those last two tunes you heard is actually billy anderson was playing bass on both of those and uh there's kind of something cool about the bass playing on houdini that i was I don't know, that kind of hits me. It's almost like a, like a 60s Mission Impossible, like James Bond kind of feel to some of the stuff they do, like on this and uh, Pearl Bomb, which is where like yeah. Crover's doing almost like the typewriter drum, like... Yeah, know? definitely pretty, you know, stylistic type. Sure. You know. And you've noticed some things about like the way that Crover plays on Houdini and even some of the stuff he does on the next record, Stoner well, Witch. Well, yeah, but... I mean, the, the big thing about Dale Crover is just like... And actually, you could say the same thing about Buzzo, too, but there's almost like a, they build almost like a dramatic element, you know, by being a little bit offbeat, by, you know, when they're, you know, he's hitting the drums, just having, you know, a lot of power to it, mm-hmm. um, and just like building tension in a lot of songs. And I think Joan oh, like was that, uh, the last track we heard, you know, there's actually that, where they're holding out the feedback or holding out the notes, it's like, makes it just a little uncomfortable holding it out, like maybe two extra measures just yeah. before they come back in. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and that goes alongside of what we were talking about before with, you know, the cleverness of the, the album title being Houdini is that there's it's like a false set of drama. Yeah. They're almost trying to, like, mock the epic kind of 70s stadium rock kind of like yeah. big, you know, big bombastic drums and like sing-along yeah, choruses. Yeah, create this big sound, but almost in like a cartoonish way. Yeah, yeah. and then mock it with nonsensical lyrics that yeah. mean absolutely nothing. No, there, there is nothing important about these songs. They just feel important. Which, like, you know, <laughs> you know considering the era was just like, you got people... So you'd be deadly serious about sure. you know you know nothing. Lane you know. Staley's talking about yeah. heroin. Kurt Cobain's talking about suicide yeah. and like teen like and the Melvins are talking about you know. magic tricks. <laughs> yeah, and, you like, know that's one cool thing about them. I yeah, guess. and that that really was the beauty. You know, I remember one thing too that I read um, right around this time that Houdini came out. They also put out a record called Prick, which they basically made to like raise money. To record Houdini, it was just yep. like a joke record that they just put out so they could get a little extra cash to like spend on making Houdini better. Yeah, it's, it, it's just, actually I, I went back and listened to it. It's it's better than I thought it was, but that isn't you know it's kind of still one of the kind of well it's their first it's, real like noise type album which you know they'd go on later to do yeah. you know but it was almost a joke too yeah so like yeah. That's, again I mean, they have a song where they're like. It's almost like there's wedding bells going on in the background, and there it's almost like the end of the graduate or something. You know, it's like what are they? You know, oh man, that's too funny. Well, the the other thing too is that they uh, 
what what you're going to hear in this kind of next set, we got one more tune from Houdini, and this is kind of a, I would say this is a live standard along with Night Goat, which yeah, you say Joan of Arc. So, yeah. uh, and it's got kind of just one of the, the great kind of like just riffs and talking about the drama, um, Buzzle does these like huge like, like yeah, these sort of like big whale kind of like almost like eighties metal like hairband like kind of stuff. Feel or yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, <laughs> oh man, you know, like big time, and it's 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 really well presented uh, in this tune along with um, kind of weird kind of hillbilly sample at the beginning of the song like yeah, guy he's, like he's like come on you knuckleheads yeah, you know through a megaphone or something is, is that buzzle or yeah. is that a sample i have no idea probably knowing him it is is this him okay yeah. and this when is, they do it live it is him is it yeah, yeah well that would make sense the, the beauty of this tune is uh well this is also a tune that kurt uh kurt cobain produced as well that's the thing like the, the whole album is really chopped up in a lot of different pieces because there's like i said like three or four different producers yeah. working on this record to construct it and you know i don't know if that's i think that kind of defines really this era of the melvins where like yeah, one part of the record it sounds like this. The other part of the record sounds like this, and you know, and uh, in the next record that we're going to get into, which is Stoner Witch, uh, which we'll we'll get into after Joan of Arc, you're going to hear a couple tunes from the first half of the record, and then we're going to end the set with a tune called At the Stake, which yep. really is Jeff will talk about that when we come back, like a definition of the second part of this record. So, yep. Yep. Um, so we're going to be blasting into Joan of Arc. And then we've got the opening two tunes from Stoner Witch, uh, which brings back a lot of memories from us in high school when, um, you know, yeah, we would rock out in your Camaro to the Melvins <laughs> like sophomore year, driving around, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, Squeetus and Queen, which Queen, it's cool that we're playing Joan of Arc and Queen in the same set because Queen is almost like a more refined vision. Yeah, well, well, that that's to me Stoner Witch is kind of when they, it's their most produced album, it's their most polished album. And yet it's, you know, it's like the first, I'd say the first six songs on it are like, you know, very committed, like almost commercial. And mm-hmm. then the second half of the record is just yeah pretty off the wall. Yeah, which at the stake is the seventh tune, which kind of opens up a whole whole new, you know, realm of possibilities yep. on, the, on the record. So, all right, so we got Joan of Arc, Squeetus, Queen, and then we'll end things with At the Stake. Enjoy. It's only one I let you 
that was Queen Squeedus. Uh, well, excuse me, at the stake, Queen Squeedus, and then we started things off with Joan of Arc. And uh, Queen was actually one of the two singles from this record, along with the tune that we're going to be playing next, right? Uh, Revolve and Queen. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. You'd almost like hear them on the radio sometimes. Yeah, which every now and then. But... Very odd to hear the Melvins. I mean, this is, again, this is an era where the Melvins had like a spotlight on them for about four or five years, and then they kind of went back into the underground, which is where they've been comfortably yeah. since then, yeah. you know? Um, you know, Stoner, which is the second of the Atlantic Trio, and then we'll, we'll kind of end things here in a moment with Stag. And after that, they kind of go back to Amphetamine rep, uh, Records yeah, and Ipecac eventually. kind of really starts their really odd period where, you know, they release a single every month. They do a trilogy of albums with, like, guest singers like Leaf Garrett yeah. and, you know, <laughs> and, you know, Paige Hamilton and yeah. you know, guys from Tool and stuff. But. Well, and then in the 2000s, like, after we saw them, that live show, Jello Biafro from Dead Kennys came out, and then they did the Jello Biafro and the Melvins records. Which is, it seems like a bizarre thing at first, but it's actually a really good fit. Yeah, it totally yeah. works. You know, yeah. his vocals over top kind of the, the yeah. sludge hardcore of, of the Melvins, you know. Yeah. But the tune we just heard, At the Stake, is kind of, uh, I mean, it's we were talking about it. It, it, it. It's probably one of my favorite. It's my favorite song on Stoner Witch, and I think it's one yeah, of yours. Pretty close, you yeah. know. And this is really the template for. Um, we kind of debated whether it was the template for like drone music or or not because this record was put out '94, and Neurosis puts out through Silver and Blood '96, and well, you can Isis definitely, and, you, know, you know, you can draw a line to bands like Earth and Sun, and you yeah. know that whole the like, Southern Lord, yeah, kind pretty, of scene, yeah, the Southern you know, Lord stuff, Burning right Witch from and tunes like this, you yeah, know, because there's it's it's like a doom feedback noise tune you know it's got like the jesus lizard and the big black and, and some of that yeah. kind of stuff in it but yet it also has like trouble candle mass but it yeah, also there's has more black of a, flag and you know it's yeah, all these kind almost of more of a metal element to it than a lot of those you know like you say jesus lizard that mm-hmm. kind of thing well i think there's there's that heavy thrash element too mm-hmm. as far yeah. as the guitar tone and muted you know muted palm stuff and yep yeah and you hear that in, in some of the tunes too and i i mean i don't know if that's again that that sort of late 70s early 80s sort of songwriting influence that they have that, yeah, you know they're you know, kind of tapping into like you know kill them all metallica in a way or something like that yeah in a certain sense so i mean the melvins i mean you can pontificate and intellectualize as much as you want with the melvins but it's yeah, not it's gonna lead, a, lead you down any like clear paths you either like trying to tell how deep a mud puddle is yeah i mean that's the <laughs> your quicksand kinda, you're yeah. kind of swimming <laughs> as deep as you yeah, want to go it's a little bit murky out there so. exactly and so <laughs> That that's the thing. You kind of appreciate the Melvins for what they are, or you don't. And I mean, you know, like this this era of the Melvins is definitely where where I love you know their stuff. And I mean, I like their stuff after this um, quite a bit as well. Yeah, but, you know, these these albums I put on more than their their other stuff. I'd yeah, say. definitely. So. Yeah. But uh, we're going to kind of wrap things up here with Stoner Witch and then uh, enter into a set from Stag. Um, thoughts on Stag? It, it's almost like they're. Their, their most disjointed like album on Atlantic. Mm-hmm. They're just really. Um, there's a lot of tunes that are like almost weird for the sake of being weird, and and they were you could tell they were really trying to do some way different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it, it it kind of points to the the second half of their career, really. Gotcha. You know, so still, this is sort of that like um, it's like a transitional album, I'd okay. say. Yeah, and I mean, this is uh, where the album that we saw them on the first tour, you know. So, 
because uh, I remember them opening the show up with the song that we're going to end the whole show with, which is the bit with the, mm-hmm. the sitar and, and some of that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's it's hard to give a snapshot of a Melvin's record, but we're going to do our best here. We're going to end th- or start things off with our last tune, um, kind of the most fully realized, I think, single that the Melvins ever did, yep. a tune called Revolve from Stoner Witch. And then we've got a trio of tunes from Stag, Buck Owens, Skin Horse, and Bertha's. And... Uh, Buck Owens really has a lot of the noise rock aspects, yeah. and kind of really odd percussion stuff sort of it happening. Really, it reminds me of like a lot of the stuff they did on like ambient hostile takeover, and you know okay. later, you know, just kind of pointed in that direction, more refined, but yet going into some weird mm-hmm. area, you know, noise. You know, including that in almost like a single type song. Sure. And then Skin Horse, uh, we're going to fade out some of Skin Horse because I think you'll get the gist yeah. of the weirdness yeah. after yeah. a point. That's the weird factor. And then uh, come right back with, with Bertha's, which we'll talk about when we come back. But uh, don't don't be surprised. You hear a little kiss and Thin Lizzy in there. So enjoy Revolve. Yeah. 
Bertha's, Skin Horse, Buck Owens, and Revolve. I love that tune, Buck Owens. Yeah. It's a great, great song title. Great but, uh, Western guy. Yeah, yeah. But Bertha's is is got you know it's a minute and a half of just sort of pure, like kind of Thin Lizzy kiss, just sort of overdrive, I guess. You know, I mean, yeah. really like just refined songwriting uh, compared to say Skin Horse, where they're just indulgent. Yeah, you know? yeah, just kind of going <laughs> off the deep end a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I think for my money, the, in terms of the best songs the, on this record, the bit still holds up for me, even though it's kind of one of their standard tunes. Yeah, it's kind of straightforward. It almost reminds me of like more than a feeling from Boston, almost. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like that's that true. Kind of the, boom. the kitchen sink, really, yeah, really yeah, hitting you. throwing everything at you. Yeah, you heard it here on Requiem Metal Podcast. Boston, you know, is meets the Melvins. You know, you hear that too often. But uh, you know, starts off with a sitar and then kind of goes into a traditional sort of doom sludge rock sort of thing. So, but um, all right, well, we hope you enjoyed our venture into the. Atlantic era of the Malvins, you know, tell us if you have a favorite tune from this era that we kind of missed or something. So shoot us a uh, email at requiempodcast at gmail.com or check out the website, which is requiempodcast.com. Uh, drop us a line on iTunes, you know, give us a review and that sort of stuff. And Be your uh, friend on Facebook. Yeah, that's true. Uh, hey, uh, give us a donation if you feel the show's worth it. This is true. This is true. Yeah, I think we'll have a donation button up by oh, about this point. So, And uh, if you don't own these records, they're, they're, they're definitely three to, to own. Yep, they're worth it. So, and thanks, uh, Grand Carcoon, for sitting in hey, on us. You're no problem. Happy to be here. Resident Melvin's expert. So, if you have any <laughs> Melvin's related questions, uh, you know, RE them to Grand Carcoon. <laughs> we'll, we'll forward them to him. So, all right, for the Requiem Metal Podcast, I'm Jason. I'm Mark. And I'm Grand <laughs> There it is. Enjoy the bit. <laughs>